We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from Investors Group Financial Services, Inc. Call now. Leave a message. They'll return your call at 905-529-7165. And take a peek at the website, andyanddon.com. That's andyanddon, all one word, dot com. There you will find old shows as well. You can also ask a question via the listener inquiry button. Good morning, gentlemen. Good, Good morning, to see you Scott. all. Good morning, Scott. Uh, funding a long retirement. And they're yes. getting and they're getting longer, aren't they? Uh, yes, that's, that's and that is that's good really the, yeah. the concern, right? Mm-hmm. And um, so, you know, something that uh, that Don and I are always looking at is trying to understand the probability of someone having a confident retirement, and and we're sort of measuring. We want to measure or put a number to how confident someone can feel about not outliving their money. And so a typically, typically we would put a percentage to it. Mm-hmm. So if somebody, if we said, well, you know what, your plan is really providing a 50% confidence level. 50% would mean that you've got a 50-50 chance that you're going to reach, you're going to live, outlive your money. Mm-hmm. Right? Flip a coin, basically. It's flip a coin. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So you might be okay, you might not. And it's, and it's a bit, it is a bit like a weather forecast in the sense that, you know, it's, it's obviously a moving target. Mm-hmm. There's so many factors and, um, but we've grown to, we've grown to understand that a weather forecast 50, 50, you know, that's not a lot of certainty, yeah. right? Whereas if they said 90% chance of rain yeah. or snow, whatever, yeah. that's pretty good certainty. We, we've come mm-hmm. to trust that as a, as an outcome that we should probably plan for, mm-hmm. um, so this is an ongoing study in our industry to determine how do we build or structure a confident retirement and uh, account for longevity that is continuing to to grow over time. Is longevity a bigger question now than the stability of the market or the results of the market? Is that just as big a factor? Well, I it think seems what, we're living so much longer now. Yeah. So the, the, I mean, people tend to focus on the market volatility because yeah. that's in the moment. It's easy and, too. You see it every day. It's easy because yeah. we're hearing about it. We're learning about it. You know, there's lots of information about it. And what was uh, fascinating to me, and I, I pulled up a study that was done by the Society of Actuaries. Now, these people love numbers, right? Mm-hmm. Actuaries. That's, a, that's an exciting just, study. Just by, the, just by their nature. I mean, they love to go deep yeah. in terms of understanding. More than accountants? Oh, yes. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Like this, these are accountants on, on exponential. There you go, uh, yeah. Accountants, accountants on steroids. On crack. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. And so there was a, this study was done by the U.S., uh, the Society of Actuaries in the U.S., and it was called The Challenges and Strategies for Financing an Increasingly Long Life. Now, as you can imagine, an actuarial study, there were a lot of pages. I have, I looked briefly at it, but I've wanted to take the Coles notes for right, you yeah, here. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to dive a little deeper into it, and I might have more information to share when we come back next week. But um, what one thing that they, they uh, discovered, and these are some of the highlights, is that clearly we consistently underestimate how long we're going to live. Hmm. So survey after survey after survey, when people are asked, and they asked two different groups here, pre-retirees and those that were already retired. 43% of retirees, those that are already retired, so almost half, underestimated the, their uh, life expectancy by five years. Hmm. So, you know, they yeah. thought they're going to die five years sooner yeah. than statistically they will. 38% of pre-retirees underestimate by five years yeah. how long they're going to live. So, again, universally, people are 
really not understanding how much life expectancy has increased over time. But also in, in, in talking anecdotally with clients I have, and in, in just the other day, I said to somebody, well, you know, I have you living till 90. And they're in their early 70s. And they both looked at me and they went, ha, yeah, right. Yeah. And I said, you know, you're laughing now, but when we're sitting here together and you're 87 yeah, <laughs> or you're yeah. 91 and we've talked to, and we're saying, well, you remember that uh, 17 years ago when you said you would never make it to 90? Well, here we are. And um, So more are scared of dying than living. I think you're right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They just assume they're going to die they're, earlier. They think they're going to die early. Yeah, yeah. Uh, much earlier it's than It's probably more that do. than it is financial. So the problem with um, the problem with life expectancy is that it's an average, right? So half the people die yeah. before that age, and half the people die after that age. And so um, today, a couple age sixty six, uh, there's a sixty seven percent chance two thirds of those couples, one spouse is going to live to eighty six, and another third, one third of them will, one of them will live till ninety two. And so, you know, again, we're projecting a, a retirement plan out to age ninety. Chances are, if you're in a if you're in a relationship and you're already retired, you know, we've got to be at least probably into ninety five now mm-hmm. today. And so, they went through a, a study to understand how confident a couple could be in terms of not outliving their money during retirement. And so, they set the stage with an example. This is a couple age sixty two. They had uh, they have $105,000 of combined income. They have a home worth $350,000, and they have savings of $250,000. And so what they wanted to look at to start with was government pensions. Should I take my government pension or should I defer my government pension? And then how can we add a confidence factor to that as well? Mm-hmm. So in looking at the right away taking it at age 66 for this couple, they would need an additional $660,000 on top of what they already have to be 50% confident of not running out of money, 50-50 chance. Wow. If they want that number to grow to 90% confident of, not, of them not running out of money, they need 880000 an additional $220,000 to bring that up to 90%. Here was the fascinating part of the study to me. If they deferred the government pension to age 70, those numbers change dramatically. In fact, instead of needing 666,000, they only need 410,000 for a 50% confident retirement or 610,000 for a 90% uh, confident level of retirement. So that's a savings at the 90% level of $270,000 to them by deferring their government pension to age 70. And so in Canada, obviously, that means when you defer your Canada pension plan and even your old age security, that you uh, you get an enhancement. Yeah. You get an increased amount, which then is locked in, and now that's going to be indexed and payable for life. And the payable for life part, obviously, has a huge factor in creating that confidence issue uh, later on in terms of retirement. So that same couple, and that was just, so that example was just using sort of the standard mortality. What Mm -hmm. would be the average person's, uh, how long will they live? Now, if we take the same couple and we want to express that or or look at a a joint, longer joint life expectancy, then the same couple needs at 66, 840,000 for a 50% confidence, 990,000 for a 90% confidence. Mm -hmm. And then now if they defer their pensions or government pensions to 70, 
those numbers go to 570,000 and 710. So savings of about $280,000 by deferring their pension. So there's a pretty strong uh, evidence then from the actuaries, Society of Actuaries, that deferring your pension for most people is going to dramatically increase yeah. their confidence level and the, the ability to not outlive, outlive your money. And this would apply to Canada Pension Plan or, or public pension. And that was or- and exactly what I was thinking. So, you know, even though it's a U.S. study, right. um, it's very similar parallels to what we would do here in Canada. Um, unfortunately, our Canadian Society of Actuaries, we're going to have to get on these guys, yeah. <laughs> you know. <laughs> They need to repeat this study to make sure it's it's true again here in Canada. But I, I would borrow a lot of this information in terms of how we would approach our Canadian choices. I think as a lot as simply our perception of, of life expectancy is related to hearing about people dying. Because yeah. you don't hear people living. Okay? You don't hear that too Not often. anymore because everybody's no. 100. Oh, yeah, exactly. It's a little, Even if someone so turns on, remember when someone turned 100 a while ago? It was Oof. a big deal. Now, now it's like, oh, yeah, everybody's 100. Front page of the paper. Yeah. But, but it's not like they say, okay, um, most people out, out of the 20,000 people that drove to work today, they all made it safe. Yeah. But if there was an accident, they yeah. report that. And I think right. that has to do with the yeah. death too. We remember that 58-year-old that passed away mm-hmm. or that 62-year-old that had a heart attack. Mm-hmm. Those kind of, or have a cancer or whatever. And, and you remember those, but you don't remember all the ones that live because they don't, it's yeah. not newsworthy. Yeah. Yeah. And I think exactly. that's what keeps people somewhat, you know, probably um, pessimistic, if you will, um, mm-hmm. on on life expectancy. Maybe, and maybe they just shoot low, because, and then if we make it, woo. Yeah, but yeah. Th- but that's forgetting about the financial aspect. Exactly. Right. Good yeah. point. Exactly. Absolutely. And, and how many times have we heard, uh, you know, you probably heard this too, said, well, you know, life's short. Yes. Uh, as yeah. a result of, you know, hearing oh, this 62-year-old who died yeah. of a heart attack, well, Every life funeral. is short. I got to, we better enjoy our money now yeah. and spend it. Every and, funeral uh, we go to. Yeah. You know, same thing. Yeah. All, you know, and it's kind of a, it's definitely spaces reality, but again, I like the celebration of life when people are actually alive, like birthday parties. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's right. yeah those yeah, those yeah. are great. Yeah. So the study went on to just talk about what are the other key factors that people can do to increase their confidence, their percentage. So from 50, 60, 70, 80, 90% confident. Number one was trim discretionary spending. Mm-hmm. Now this is, I, I take this one with a grain of salt because one of the things we're trying to do is we don't want people to underlive and, and end up with a ton of money at the end that they're passing on unless that's a goal, but you know, generally you want people to be able to use their money today and not when they're 90 going, geez, I wish I'd spent more money. So, but trimming, trimming discretionary spending is clearly one strategy. And a lot of people do resort to that. Number two would be downsizing your house. Uh, number three, they looked at was a reverse mortgage. Number four, uh, purchasing an annuity, which provides, again, a lifetime income. And number five was purchasing long-term care insurance because one of the key things in terms of a, of a shock to your retirement is that long-term care need that might right. really drain a lot of resources. So individually, those things can really add up. But what they dis- discovered, the best results is to combine a number of these strategies together. And um, so... And the final thing, which I'm just going to read this from the article, which I wanted to share, said, so, um, for example, although reducing expenses does help retirement wealth last longer, the strategy does little to offset the effects of large shocks, such as long-term care costs and severe investment losses. So, the, and many of these uh, 
in, many of these strategies are marginally beneficial alone, and we conclude that the combination of strategies has the largest impact in mm. terms of making your money last. And the final piece, and this is interesting to me, and I don't know if this applies as much to Canada, but it certainly is interesting. The study also determined that taking out a reverse mortgage to fund your retirement is preferable to downsizing. And this is particularly true for couples with a longer life expectancy. So if you're thinking, if you're a couple, and you know, not widow or widower, you're not on your own, but you're now still a couple with, with then a, a longer life expectancy, joint life expectancy, that a reverse mortgage is actually a better strategy than downsizing your home. Wow. Yes. And, and you know, that's one surprising. thing in Canada that makes it interesting is that's a U.S. study, as you mentioned, right? Yeah. Mm. At least it's tax-free. Also, is yeah. uh, eventually. Um, I think in the U.S. too, there's capital gains when you sell your principal residence mm-hmm. and downsize. Mm-hmm. They, don't, uh. they don't. They don't charge you on an up when you up. Yeah, I was thinking too about there. Obviously, there's a slippage in terms of um, real estate fees, yes. land transfer taxes, moving costs, and other things that have to get factored into that downsizing strategy as well. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from Investors Group Financial Services, Inc. 905-529-7165. You can call now, leave a message, they'll return it. We're coming back. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from Investors Group Financial Services, Inc. Call now, leave a message, they will return your call at 905-529-7165. And the website is andyanddon.com, all one word, andyanddon.com. You can listen to old archive shows there and ask a question as well via their listener inquiry button. Going to talk about prescribed rates just doubled? Yes, yes, prescribed rate. And this is the rate that the government charges or and uh, or accepts um, in terms of income. It also is a rate that you could do loans to. So this is set by the government and mm-hmm. it's been set at 1% and I don't know how long. It might, it's, it's, it could be three or four years now that it really, so it might have been longer. It's been since the you know, recession of 08, 09 when the interest rates went down, they kept the prescribed rate at 1%. Mm-hmm. Well, as of April 1st, it just went to 2%. Now, what does so that So what mean? is the prescribed rate? And, and what, what, what was used the most? Uh, I'll put it this way. If, you, if the government owed you money, mm-hmm. they would pay interest at the prescribed rate. Right. Okay. However, if uh, you owed them money, right. they charged the prescribed rate plus 4%. Hmm. Okay. So now- That's fair. Yeah, of course. <laughs> it's one, on the other side of this. Very one-sided. Yeah. <laughs> so they do fairly well in this prescribed rate in that deal. But having said that, um, there's a lot of bank accounts that weren't paying 1% before. Mm. So it wasn't a bad deal if the government owed you money. Mm-hmm. Um, by the way, it was taxable if you did get this income from the government. And it was not tax deductible if you owe money to the government. Right. So it's again, a little more one-sided there too. But wh- what was used a lot was from an income splitting standpoint. So if, a, if the... Uh, if say one spouse had a significantly higher income than another spouse, there's a lot of incentive to try to get the incomes around the same. Right. So let's say two people earning 75,000 is far better than one person earning 125 and the other one earning 25. Mm-hmm. And this is actually kind of interesting because you go back and you look at the public sector pensions right now. The average age of retirement is 58. So if you're part of the public sector, your average retirement age is 58. Yeah. I know we're sitting here at 55 looking at ourselves exactly, right now and yeah. sh- <laughs> shaking our where heads did a little we, bit. Where did we go wrong? <laughs> <laughs> now, if you're part of the private sector, your average retirement is 62. <clears throat> now, this is what's kind of interesting. 
if you're self-employed, the average, and these are male numbers, by the never. way. You never. You Yeah, almost. Retired. You're not far from that. <laughs> 67 yeah. is the average age for, and that's five years more and almost 10 years more work than the than the public and private sectors. Yeah. So, and, and one of the biggest deals with the public sector is if you both retired at 58, you can split your pensions. Mm-hmm. So, so defined uh, benefit plans, you can split the income. And this is a great deal. So again, using that example of 125 and 25, yeah, interest rate. all of a sudden you get two people earning 75,000. You don't even pay any tax above the 30% level. However, if you're making 125 and you can't split the income, a lot of that income is taxed at 43%, mm-hmm. 43.41, I believe. So one of the things that I've got, people have used for a long time for splitting income is the idea that of, of a loan to a spouse. So let's say that the wife in this case earns 100,000 a year and the husband earns 25,000 a year and the wife gets an inheritance of a million dollars. Basically, maybe you know a house was sold mm-hmm. for a million dollars. It's a nice even number. It doesn't really matter the amount. It could have been 250,000, mm-hmm. it could have been 500,000. End of the day, she really doesn't want the income because She's she's already in the forty three percent tax bracket. Right. Meanwhile, her husband's in the in a twenty percent tax bracket. It'd be great to have it there, but she you're not allowed to gift your money from one spouse to the other without attribution rules. Mm-hmm. So even though th- this is her money now, and and the other part of it, quite often they want to keep it separate on inheritance anyway. It is part of you know the protect the marriage in case there was a separation or divorce. Right. She knows that's her money. She's going to get it out. Right. Okay. And it was her mother's money. And she may want to pass that down to the kids or whatever. But at the end of the day, we really want to split the income. So how do we do this? Legally, you can't... And honestly, the government can track this. Mm-hmm. They are getting better. There's a lot of auditors now. They're following through on, on investments now. So the what we used to do is simply say, okay, what we're going to do is the wife would then lend the money to the husband, the whole million dollars, and charge him 1%. Not a bad deal. She has to declare that $10,000 on her income. So she adds $10,000. She has to pay for tax at $4,300 in tax on that. So she ends up netting $5,600. But it's, the cost is $4,341. The husband now is getting $30,000. And let's say he invested a 3% dividend. 3% dividend, he only pays $635 in tax because <clears throat> you have to make in dividend income, you have to make over 45000 before you start paying any tax in dividend income. And he just is creeping over that because he was making twenty five. now he's making fifty five. Mm-hmm. It's only about $8,500 is taxed at the next bracket, which isn't that high. And it's particularly with dividends, he only pays 8% tax on dividends even in the next bracket. So at the end of the day, even though... The husband has to pay her $10,000 of interest and she has to pay tax on it. They end up clearing out of that $30,000 in dividends a year, they end up getting $28,000. There's only really $2,000 tax Mm -hmm. versus if she inherited the whole thing and invested at 3%, kept it separate, she would have to pay um, $7,600 in tax and would net um, $22,380. 386. So the difference is about $5,500 in a tax bill. And that's every year. Hmm. So 10 years later, that's $55,000 that you're not paying the government. Hmm. However, they've just doubled that lending rate of 1%. So had you have done this 
March 31st and you did this spousal loan at the prescribed rate, it's locked for life. Yeah. Oh, really? Yes. Mm. Just because the interest rate went up yeah. um, April 1st, you do not have to adjust the rate. In fact, I had an accountant recently ask me that. He says, you know, we did this whole loan strategy. It's too bad that it went up April 1st. And uh, it's one of those best kept secrets. Most people don't realize that's a locked in for life rate. Mm -hmm. In fact, if you had it at 2%, it went down to one, you'd redo the loan yeah. and, and lock it in at 1%. Hmm. So that's one good deal with these loans. So now that the loan rate has doubled, the it, it turns out that instead of saving yourself um, all this tax, it's, it's saving you a lot less. The savings is now 3,200 instead of 5,500. And at the end of the day, you're, you're, it's worse off by about 2,300. Still advantage. Mm -hmm. There's still the advantage of $3,200. Um, but you know, if you just did it just a few weeks ago, it would have been 5,500. Mm. So what else can we do? It's, it's not nearly as advantageous to go through the effort for a couple grand. It's still worth it. Okay. But there's other ways to try to income split. So, People have been using this 1% loan for a while, and it's almost like we've forgotten ways to income split because this was such a great deal before. So one of the ways is simply, why don't we just spend the wife's money in this example? So all the household bills, <coughs> we spend it. Right. All the husband's money, we save his money. So his investments start to rise and hers start to go down. Mm -hmm. So it adds a lot more to the husband's savings. Right. So that's one way to start moving the dial that way. Seems easy. But you really do want to keep it separate and just watch it. Because again, if there was ever an audit, you want to show that the funds are coming out of the wife's side of the ledger and the husband's investments are going up. And that's and that's where I think people often get get not confused, but maybe complacent in the sense that, well, we're we're married, we're together, and there's just sort of the shuffling of of income and, and investment income back and forth between them and and without really worrying about, you know, who earned the money. Mm -hmm. And and really that's what CRA is saying. If you didn't earn the money, then you couldn't have accumulated it. Right. So suddenly if somebody has all yeah. kinds of money in their name, how'd you get it? How'd yeah. you get it? Yeah. yeah. And they do want to see a source there. And obviously if all if you're only making twenty five thousand a year and next thing you know you got a million dollars in your side yeah. of the ledger. Wow. Okay, how'd that happen? Wow. So they the, the, Paper it's great route. to document this. And if it's gradual. Uber driver. Yeah. Uber. That's it, Uber. <laughs> wow, That's going to throw everything off, man. I've done really well on that yeah. whole sideline. Yeah. So on the invest, the other side is um, <laughs> look at the investments. Um, you know, you, you could look at your strategy and how you're investing. So that the one in the higher tax bracket is earning the capital gains and dividends and paying a lot lower tax on that and have the interest income in the husband's name. Mm -hmm. Okay. The end of the day is still tax to pay, but at least you're paying less tax. Yeah. Okay. And you're in the comfort level of your investments that you set up in the first place. Mm -hmm. So a lot of a lot of people out there say, "This is my comfort level. I want one third in in things that pay interest." Mm -hmm. Well, put that one third in your in this case the husband's name at yeah. the lower tax bracket, mm -hmm. not just put it blanketly over. But the one I really like is what we call the one plus one, and this is where in this million dollar example. The, the wife invests a million dollars and earns dividend income and has to pay tax on it every year. Okay, so it, in this particular case, um, she pays about, she ends up with 22400 after tax every year. And that, by the way, the tax bill comes out of her name. Mm -hmm. She sends that $30,000 of dividends, and we do this automatically with our clients. So the 3% dividend is sent directly to the, invest, the husband's account. 
And now that money is invested in his name. So what happens is, if you look at interest as almost like your offspring, so it's like your kids. Mm -hmm. Well, then the interest from the interest is like your grandkids. And in this case, the husband doesn't have to pay tax on the grandkids. Right. It's the interest off the interest. So in this case, it would be a dividend income. So so in the wife moves the, the all the dividend income automatically goes right over to the husband's side. So he's got now thirty thousand dollars in one year. And her million is still a million. And her million stays a million. Thanks, Andy. So it doesn't change. It just stays at a million. And now that at three percent, the husband earned nine hundred dollars dividends off the money that was basically moved over. Well, you do this for ten years, her money's still a million dollars because we've been moving. We haven't been reinvesting any of that money. Yeah. And his is now at three hundred fifty-four thousand. And it's now earning a little, almost $11,000 in dividends. So he, he's really catching up. Yeah. Now, the other side of it, if you use this strategy, along with the strategy of spending the wife's money while saving the husband's, right. that million would have continued to fall. Mm-hmm. So you would see, you know, I, we spend, uh, you know, $80,000 a year in, in different things from lifestyle to taxes to et cetera. Well, it doesn't take long for the wife's income to start to go down and the husband's, and they could catch up a lot faster. In fact, I would suggest after 10 years, it would be even, Mm -hmm. if not earlier. But you just have to have a strategy. You have to have a financial plan. This is just one of those, and it's massive. Just like, as I was mentioning with pensions, where the income splitting makes all the difference. And part of the reason why the public sector can retire at 58 is because of splitting the pensions. Mm. Well, this is splitting the investment income, just as important, and it will make a massive difference to your confidence rating, Yes, <laughs> as Andy was just talking about, on how long your money will last. Mm-hmm. Because what you can save in tax means it goes back into your pocket and lasts, lasts for longer. you, for your yeah, retirement. Makes your money last longer. Yeah, yeah absolutely. It's, 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 it seems so simple. But these are little tiny strategies, they all add up. Mm-hmm. And I know there's a whole bunch of other strategies in terms of the tax, and we have a little checklist here. Yeah, I mean, this this is tax season. People have either already done them, or they're or they're doing them, or getting ready to do them. You, you, you've done yours, I right? Knew it. See, <laughs> way, see the way he was looking at me there? He was looking right at me. He was giving me the eagle eye. You well, you have, I'm, I'm in the process. I'm mostly there. I'm, I'm pre- yeah. In other yeah. words, he hasn't started. No, but. no, honestly. <laughs> you've downloaded the program. <laughs> <laughs> My wife has started. And He's that's got all the envelopes the in, yeah, in, yeah, a, yeah, in yeah. an elastic band. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Found okay. the envelopes. Yes, yeah. that's right. <laughs> I know where they are. All there right, you go. Right. We're, we're giving you a hard time, but um, tax, Wait a sec. tax credits. Wait a sec. Are you done? Uh, absolutely not. I, I was. Absolutely I was not. there this week. I was there this week. I did um, uh, all the personal returns are done, and uh, doing a corporate one, which uh, which I do use uh, an accountant to do. There you so go. So it's all in. It's already there. But, and uh, and uh, only Andy talks about this stuff with a big uh, smile on his face. I know. I was saying to my my wife last week. Well, I'm gonna I'm going down to the basement tonight, and I'm working on our taxes. <laughs> and and she really oh, okay. And then the next night, I'm going down to the basement. And I'm working on our taxes. Really? Are you? Uh, sh- uh, yes, and he's got the TV on, <laughs> and I'm excited. I've got my uh, cup a lot of people of tea watching playoff hockey. Yeah, no, 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 right. no, no. This is fun stuff. This is good. This is we're talking numbers. Yeah, shut off the game. <laughs> uh, so you know the, the the tax credits that we're entitled to, and there's a whole bunch. There's the basic federal credit that everybody gets, and that's a no brainer. Um, you get the uh, spouse or equivalent tax credit. So if your spouse doesn't earn an income, or you have an eligible dependent 
child, uh, you get an additional credit, uh, which is basically like doubling your individual credit. Mm -hmm. There is also new for this year, the Canada Caregiver Credit. And this was... um, uh, this one takes a little more figuring out, but basically, uh, it's it it is money being claimed on a dependent, or sorry, on your expenses for looking after a dependent. Right. Um, the disability tax credit again, that's something that uh, your doctor has to approve. But when you're approved, that will give you an additional uh, tax savings. Medical expense credit. So this is one where, uh, and I caught this with one of my uh, senior clients as well, retired. Uh, in their 70s. And basically, when you look at most, a lot of times people, if they don't have a, didn't have a, you know, an employer covered health Mm -hmm. plan uh, during retirement, then they're typically going out and buying some kind of coverage. And there's all kinds of different, you know, Blue Cross or whatever it might be. So you're paying premiums to have a health care plan. And then you go to the chiropractor, you go to the dentist, and you you submit a claim. Mm -hmm. And typically, a portion of that claim is eligible to be refunded. Maybe you get 90% covered, or maybe you only get 50% covered. And then there's a maximum for for the amount of coverage each year. And uh, so what I discovered is that they didn't include their premiums that they'd paid to Manulife for their uh, insurance, their health health plan. And they didn't include the differential, what they had actually paid versus what was reimbursed, which would be considered a personal, a, yeah. another medical credit. Right. So we're um, in all of these companies that I'm aware of, you can get a history report, mm-hmm. a historical mm-hmm. report. So you can basically go online. And if you can't go online or you don't have a computer, call up your provider and say, listen, I need a history report summarizing you know, myself mm-hmm. and my spouse uh, for the calendar year 2017. And they'll mail you one or they'll email you one. And basically what it'll show you, these are all the things you submitted for the entire year. Mm-hmm. Here's what we reimbursed you for the entire year. And here's what you ended up paying out of pocket. And that's a, that's a deduction. That's a wow. sorry, credit. That's mm. part of your medical expense right. credit. Plus the premiums that you paid to own that coverage. It, yeah. Okay. So please make sure you've got that one. Uh, charitable donation credits. Um, again, there is an argument. If you don't make over $200 in terms of donations, uh, anything over $200 gets the super uh, credit, the highest credit that you can earn. Under $200, it's a basic amount. So it might make sense to actually pool them up either, you know, everybody should put them all on one return to start Mm -hmm. with. And, uh, and then the idea would be, um, making sure you might carry it forward to another year. Mm. So you get a higher refund on that part as well. I want to come back and talk a little bit more about some credits for students as well. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson, Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from Investors Group Financial Services, Inc. We're coming back. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from Investors Group Financial Services, Inc. Call now, leave a message, 905-529-7165, and check out their website at andyanddon.com. That's andyanddon.com. You can listen to old archive shows there as well. Uh, you can also... Uh, ask a question via the listener inquiry button. Feel free. It's all at andyanddon.com. You were talking about uh, credits and tax credits and such. Mm-hmm. And uh, if you have benefits at work that cover certain medical things, whether it's dental, whether it's massage therapy or or anything of that nature, um, something like dental, it's probably more extensive, but something that's not like chiropractor mm-hmm. or massage therapy, where you may only get a limited amount, maybe a couple hundred bucks yes. every year. What happens if you go over that? Say you've gone over your allotted uh, uh, allowance there, yes. and, and you've got maybe two or three or four or $500 more 
of therapy that you paid for that your company didn't cover. Can you claim that? Perfect. Yeah. Great question. Mm -hmm. And it it really is. um, Absolutely is the answer. Yes, you can. And so what you would want to make sure is that once you've reached your maximum Mm -hmm. in any of those categories, that you're keeping your receipts to verify what you did. And obviously you weren't reimbursed for. Um, and I just, my, my trick or my little sort of extra, uh, piece of advice is even if you've reached your maximum, continue to submit your receipt to mm-hmm. your provider. So yeah. if your group plan is Manulife, keep sending your receipts into Manulife. They'll send you a note back saying you've reached your limit, yeah. but now you've got a transactional sure, record of yeah. all those extra contra- all those extra payments that you've yeah. made. And it makes it much easier to summarize when you ask for that annual report at the end of the year. So any amount over and above your, your limit is now going to be considered a medical tax credit. Mm. And uh, as long as you meet uh, the, the minimum 3% of income right. uh, threshold, right. then you'll be able to get a credit for any amount above that. Interesting. Okay. Didn't know that. And the only other one I wanted to talk about quickly was uh, the public transit credit. Now, the public transit credit, and I saw this a lot, particularly I saw this mostly with um, you know one of my children who was uh, a graduate and was commuting to Toronto on a regular basis in 2016, uh, the thing called the Presto card, the Presto mm-hmm. Pass. Which is really yep. quite slick because it, it, it keeps a record of all of your yeah. all, all of your uh, transit transactions, and so from a summary standpoint, it's really nice. You can just print it off. How much did I spend yeah. on transit? Right. But uh, so, and this is bizarre to me. I don't know why the government took away the public transit credit because if you're trying to encourage people to get yeah. off the roads and yeah. stay yeah. and get into public tra- and stay Especially in public for transit, s- students and young yeah, people. exactly yeah. Yeah. for anybody. And you know, so they basically it ended as of June 30th. So if you did take public transit from January 1st to June 30th, 2017. Print your Presto receipts, keep your amounts, Mm. and make sure that you submit for those credits in particular. So I just wanted to make sure people knew that. If you spent, you know, it's easy to spend a hundred bucks a week to take the GO train in and out Mm -hmm. of the city. So suddenly, you know, for six months, you're looking at two grand, 2,500. That Mm. could save you probably three or $400 of taxes. Mm. And and going back to the medical receipt, (coughs) it's it's 3% of your your income up to $2,268. So if you made... A hundred thousand. Mm-hmm. Well, you've already hit the threshold. Mm-hmm. It's because the you, basically that three percent is at seventy five thousand six hundred. Right. So anything over that seventy five thousand six hundred, you have now hit the medical threshold right. of twenty two hundred sixty eight dollars. Now this is where it gets a little tricky. So let's say you you have two thousand dollars of medical receipts um, from January to December, mm-hmm. and so well, no sense even putting them in because. I, I don't get to claim them because yeah. it's not high enough. It doesn't get past that threshold. Well, let's say in January, you end up with a big, massive dental mm-hmm. bill, like a $4,000 root canal or yeah. something. And But that's in the next year. That's January now, 2018. We're doing 2017 taxes. Mm-hmm. Well, taxes with medical receipts, they look at any 12-month period. Mm-hmm. So you can massage that 12-month period. So instead of making it January, December, make it, February of mm-hmm. 2017 to January 2018. Mm-hmm. And that will capture most of that 2000 that you spent or all of the 2000 yeah. you spent in 2017 and get that dental bill added to it. Right. So now you're up to $7,000 of receipts yeah. and you now have a 5,000 that's w- over over the limit. Right. And that 5,000 ends up saving you $1,000 in tax mm-hmm. because it's basically a credit's at 20%. Right. What most people do though, is they'll end up with 2001 year, not end up using any of it. Right. And the dental bill will get you over it, but only the, it's just, you don't get to combine the two. Mm-hmm. Because let's say you had no other bills, that $4,000 dental bill 
well, that's only over by about $1,600, $1,800. And you're not going to save nearly as much tax. You're only going to save about 400 tax that way. Right. So 400 versus 1,000. I know I, I don't have to tell you which one I'd rather have, Scott. Yeah, yeah really. And so here's the caveat. You want to do... You want to bulk all your medical treatments in December and January. Yeah, exactly. Because <laughs> then you can pick which year yeah, you want them yeah, to go. Doesn't matter. Don't see anybody outside. Don't get right. sick no. outside of December <laughs> and January. Well, even you look at orthodontics for, for kids. Yeah. Yes. They'll give you that choice. Well, you can spread this over five years mm-hmm. because it's easier from an income standpoint sure. to spread over the cost. However, it's actually better if you can afford to. And, and, and if you get a loan, it actually works out better. Put it all in one year. Mm-hmm. You'll get one massive medical receipt all of it most of it will go over that threshold of three percent that mm-hmm. we talked about that 2268 you get the, a, a huge refund that year and that will offset the interest you have to borrow for the money at say four three or four percent right right it actually is a lot cheaper mm-hmm. to borrow than it and the, the refund's way better yeah yeah so th- again this is where a financial planner working out the details the other one i wanted to touch on is the disability tax credit probably the most of oh, underused, Mm -hmm. if you will, because what happens is people will get some kind of ailment and most are pretty tough. They want, they almost don't want to admit it. Mm -hmm. You know, they don't mind maybe getting one of those disability stickers to get a good parking spot, Right. but they don't really want to go to a doctor (laughs) and say, I'm disabled. Right. And let the doctor fill in the form to see if you qualify for the disability tax credit. And so let's say you do, you now qualify. Well, then you should really find out when should you have qualified. Yeah. And you can go back up to 10 years. This is worth about $1,500 in your pocket, mm-hmm. this tax credit. Per year. Per year. Yeah. Every year, this is worth $1,500. So I've had clients go back five years and get back $7,500. Wow. And if you could go back as much as 10 years and $15,000 in your pocket, but it's up to the doctor really to say, okay, you know what? You really sh- were disabled this date. Yeah. and send that in with the government and then cl- go back and claim it for all the years you missed. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from Investors Group Financial Services, Inc. We're coming right back. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from Investors Group Financial Services, Inc. You can call them now. Leave a message. They will return your call at 905-529-7165. And don't forget to take a uh, take a peek at the website, andyanddon.com. That's andyanddon.com. We're going to talk about solutions for maintaining a budget. Yeah, that's exciting. Wow. Everybody loves talking about budget. Yeah, really. Someone, <laughs> someone's going to stand over my shoulder. Well, I'm going to say right now, there's been so much talk about how in debt Canadians are right now. Yeah. And yet, it's not necessarily an income problem. It's a savings problem. I know Andy's said this many times. We, we just don't save enough. Mm. And so we go through cash flow. That's part of our job as a financial planner. One of the six main areas of a financial plan is cash flow analysis. And I can't tell you how many times we go through that and we get to this end game and say, well, you make this much and you spend that much, therefore you have this much left over. Mm-hmm. And then you look at their bank account and you look at their faces and say, we don't have that much left over. Yeah. <laughs> well, we upped your gifts, we upped your vacations, we did everything we could. We still don't have that much left over. So it came down to it. The real solution to a budget is awareness. I don't think people are aware what they spend money on. Mm. Okay. And it kind of reminds me of dieting. Or they anyway. don't want to be. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, probably a little bit of that. But it kind of reminds me of dieting. If, if you start writing down all the things you eat, so I can't seem to lose weight. I don't understand it. And then you start, you know, I, I put in this lifesaver and I grab this little bit and you start writing it down. 
it's like, oh, that's awareness. Mm. There's awareness that you are actually eating more than you thought you were eating. And this happens the same with spending. You're, you're, you go through this and we create these habits. And one was a perfect example, say in the 70s. How many people would leave their house to stop at a drive through to pick up a coffee? Mm. Nobody. They made coffee at home. Mm. Now, it was awful coffee. It was Sanka, some other stuff. I don't know what it was. <laughs> it was this, you know, freeze-dried coffee and um, not my favorite. And again, no offense to people like Sanka, but certainly it was never my big one. At the end of the day, they made this coffee, drank it, or they might drink it on to, on, as they um, drove right. to work. But right. quite, they, they certainly made it at home. There's been a paradigm shift that a lot of people don't even own a coffee maker now. Yeah, They simply drive through the Tim yeah. Timmy's or the Starbucks or whatever and buy a coffee. So we've created these habits. And these are all little tiny habits and we don't even recognize we're doing it. And we live our whole life on habits. It doesn't mm. matter what it is, whether it's yeah. eating, spending money, whatever it is, which side of the bed we sleep on, it's mm. all habits. We don't have to think about it. But certain things, we should stop and take a quick little look. What are we doing here? So this person, Carl Richards, who does a, a lot of, uh, fin he's a financial planner and he's turned to more book writing and, and bigger picture thinking. He says, what if you stopped and you, and you said, okay, I'm looking at my cash flow and every time you spent money, you, he called it the 30, um, the 30 day, three second rule. You watch your money for 30 days, but after every time you spend money, you spent three seconds thinking about what you just spent. Only three? Just three. <laughs> Not, don't, don't bash yourself. Mm -hmm. so just say, oh, that was interesting. That cost $9.24 for that sandwich I just bought at McDonald's, uh, Whole Foods, or whatever, where, where Timmy's, wherever it might have been. Just become more aware and do that for 30 days. You don't even have to write it down. Just stop for a second. Think, okay, that was, and even better, you can have your phone your an app or have it go so that you get emailed oh, yeah. or or notice sent <laughs> nice. that you just spent eight dollars and sixty seven cents at Whole Foods and now you see it. Yeah. And the fact that you're aware is is the biggest start and of, of trying to save money. And and starting to really do a financial plan because as financial planners we're we are creating long term financial plans based on what we think you're spending. Mm-hmm. And boy, if we're off by 400 bucks a month after tax, because mm. you've got a little bit of you know, extra money that you don't know where it's going, leakage, if you will, whatever you want to call it, it's just finding its ways. <laughs> leakage. <laughs> it's, not, it's not making it. Uh, never mind. I'm going to say what I was going to say. <laughs> that term means something completely different for me. Okay. But going back to money for a sec. No, if you look at that and you say, okay, I don't have that money. And so what we often do, we start a pre-authorized check. Mm -hmm. And, it's, and we, we want to start a check and say, well, we don't have that money. It's not going into the bank account. We have to start using a setup, a system where it comes out of your bank account. You pay yourself first. Mm -hmm. I know we've talked about this. But again, what happens also with bonuses or tax refunds, it's now a larger dollar amount. It's not these $5 or $10 charges. You have now know you're getting a $5,000 bonus at the end of the year. By that time that bonus arrives... How many people, what percentage of people do you think have it already spent? Oh, yeah. Like, it's <laughs> mm -hmm. gone. Sure. I think you're talking about even a tax refund of a client you saw recently. They, it's, it's gone. <laughs> oh, for sure. <laughs> yeah. and, and it's a larger amount. 
Mm-hmm. So I know Andy always you know, discuss, okay, I'd rather not get a tax refund. I'd rather would. I know if you get small amounts of money, mm. it's definitely gone. Yeah. At least with a tax refund, now you got to rationalize it. That's right. <laughs> okay. Yeah, yeah. Yep, that's right. <laughs> I just got a $3,000 tax refund and I can't find where it went to. It's already gone. <laughs> so spend is, spending mindlessly without even thinking about it is, is really become not a national bad habit. And it's really a hard habit to break, just like any habits. Mm. So what... I suggest is follow this Carl Richards, Richards method is stop after a purchase, spend three seconds, just think about it. And if you do this after one month, I will, I'd love to get an email, first of all, seeing what has it done for you, but I would suggest you'd have a lot more money in your bank account. What about doing the three second rule there before you make the purchase? <laughs> <laughs> it might, it might result in that. When Wishful you look thinking. at this, I have a feeling you may not be buying it. All right. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox have been here from Investors Group Financial Services, Inc. Call them now. Leave a message at 905-529-7165. And don't forget their website at andyanddon.com. That's andyanddon.com. You can listen to old archive shows there. And you can also also ask a question via the listener inquiry button. That's at andyanddon.com. Thank you, gentlemen. Have a great week. Thanks, Thanks, Scott. Stay warm, everybody.